Welcome to Connection Point and welcome to those joining us online. I'm Pastor Zach, showing us service lead pastors here. So glad you've joined us on this beautiful spring day. Finally, only took till April. We were in the yard working, uh, trying to clean up the mess of the yard we own. And uh, it was great to hear motorcycles driving by. Made me anxious to get mine out of the garage. Uh, it's that time of year. Praise Jesus. <laughs> In the 1960s, there was an experiment that was done. It was called the marshmallow experiment. And, and what they did is the researcher gathered some four- and five-year-olds, and he set them in a room with a table, put a marshmallow on the table, and said, if you will leave it there for 15 minutes, I will come back with two marshmallows. And so it went for those four- and five-year-olds that as the researcher walked out, some of them, Done. They weren't waiting for two marshmallows. They had one right there. They could see it. Some of those four and five-year-olds were just trying to do their very best. Fifteen minutes is a long time in the world of a four-year-old. And so then eventually they grabbed that marshmallow. <laughs> but there were some that waited. Waited for 15 minutes for that researcher to come back in and grab his two marshmallows. But that wasn't really what the study was about. What they did is they continued to chart the progress of those kids the next 40, 50 years. And the thing that they found is that those who had the ability to work on what's delayed gratification, that was what the experiment was about, those that had that quality about their lives were far more successful in life than the others. They were less prone to substance abuse. They had more successful marriages. Their relationships were better with others, that they wound up usually receiving better jobs, that they would go further in their education. Delayed gratification was a necessary quality for people to live good lives. That's what they found. And I was thinking about that for the church and, and Christianity at large. Christianity is like the biggest form of delayed gratification this world has ever known. Because we're not waiting 15 minutes, we're waiting like 80 years. And it's hard. We see that marshmallow and we're like, I want it. But here's the thing. We're not offered two more marshmallows. We're offered God himself. There's so much waiting for us. But we have to be willing in this life to say, God, I surrender it all to you in order for us. He says, you must lose your life to find it. We've, we've covered that scripture many times now. <laughs> you must lose your life to find it. The interesting thing in that study, because of course what comes out of that study is, well, then are all the rest prone to like not be able to live that kind of life, you know, delayed gratification? And the answer is no. You can actually learn to live that life. And the way that you learn it is you just start in small steps that you delay gratification, but then all of a sudden reward comes. And you're like, okay, well, that worked out for me. And actually, that was better than what I initially had. And so then they were able to do that for a little bit longer periods. And you can actually learn the value of delayed gratification. And we can too. In fact, God offers that to us. This is why we have those celebration cards. He gives us glimpses of himself to say, I'm worth it. I'm worth it. I'm worth it. My promises are good. They will hold true. So he actually is training us in delayed gratification. But the question is, will we follow it? Can we live the life that says, I can not grab that right now. I don't need to have heaven on earth and then 
heaven later too. I can actually delay that desire so that I can experience everything that God has for me. Everything that God has. I had shared a couple of weeks back that just in a personal devotional time that I was evaluating how am I doing living as a Christian as Jesus would define it, which is to obey what he says. And, and so then I looked at Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 exploring those commands of Christ that he gives to us, evaluating, well, Lord, how am I doing living these things? Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, it reads, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, their desires of your heart will also be. So then I just, we were, Shelly and I were talking, well, how are we doing? How are we doing just storing up our treasures in heaven with no regard for what we've got here? And so we started thinking about more and more these passages that we've been covering. You know, I hope you were paying attention a few weeks back because we talked about the rich ruler, where Jesus says how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. I don't think we grapple enough with these verses. I don't think... We meditate on them enough to really then ask the Lord, well, Lord, how am I doing with that? Because as Americans, we are some of the wealthiest people in the world. We lose sight of that so often. I've shared before, if you have a household income of $30,000, you're in the top 15% of wage earners in the world. $30,000. $50,000, you're in the top 1%. Top 1% in the world. And we lose sight of that because our culture is constantly telling us what you have is not enough. So then we, we forget about that. So we need to look at these verses and say, oh, Jesus, help me. Jesus says other things like, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. These verses trouble me. And to be transparent, as Shelley and I have reflected on these verses, we weren't sure we were doing a real good job of storing up treasures in heaven. If we were very honest with ourselves, we'd have to admit, we would like to have heaven now and heaven later. We really would. Problem is, you don't find that in the New Testament. It's not there. You're, we're not offered heaven now and heaven later. We're offered heaven later in a self-sacrificing life now. The past few months, Shelley and I have had time for some very real conversations, and we've come to the conclusion that we are very much like the rich man who would like to have everything that earth can give while still hoping to have what heaven offers too. That's what he wanted. And I think this is the problem most of us have to face. And I'll tell you right now, it's not an easy thing to overcome. In other words, it's not easy to follow Jesus in the way that he defines it. It really isn't. We all are going to have to count the cost of following Jesus. No one is exempt. No one. Because Jesus expects a lot. He expects it all. He expects everything that we have. And we will not live joyfully in Jesus' name until we give him it all. We can't. Otherwise, we live in this tension right in the middle where we're saying, mm, I kind of want heaven now. Oh, but I, I am investing in heaven for later too. And I'll tell you, there's no peace in your soul when you live like that. If you want to joyfully follow Jesus, you really have to release everything to him. You can't hold anything back. I told Shelley as I was working through the parable that we're going to cover today as we continue our series in Luke, 
I said, I'll be honest, y'all. Like, I'm working through this parable. I feel like the goal of that message is going to be like, don't follow Jesus. It's hard. So my goal is to, like, talk you out of following Jesus today. And there's part of me that's okay with that because you look at the Gospels and, like, Jesus was always talking people out of following him. Right? It's kind of nuts. So if you have your Bibles, buckle up, buttercup. It's going to get crazy in here today. Luke chapter 19, verse 11 to 27. Let's stand as we read God's word, his instructions for us. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. So it seems like the context here is Jesus is sitting still in Zacchaeus' home. He's at this banquet and he's about to share this parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So, so here's the context. The people thought the kingdom was coming so they could stop living like God among the people of whom God had called them to. And now Jesus gives a point of correction. Let us understand the context of this passage. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he'd given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your minna has made 10 minas. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your minna has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your minna, which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the minna from him and give it to the one who has 10 minutes. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minutes. I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. For the past few months, God's been doing an incredibly deep work in Shelly and I's life. God's been uh, doing an unusually deep work in our hearts and minds. And it has ramifications for our family our church leadership and, and for the church at large. And if I'm transparent this morning, because it's been weighty, I told Shelly at some point, I really would rather not walk down this road as a family, with our church leaders, with this church. In fact, I think I told her at some point, let's just go be teachers in California and like surf our summers away. <laughs> not because I know how to surf, but it just sounds a lot easier. <laughs> But Jesus does not lead us to the safe. He does not lead us to the comfortable. He leads us to the risky and the extraordinary. And he does that because if we can do it on our own, then God's not in it. We have to live lives in such a way that unless God shows up, things don't happen. So our prayer has been, oh God, show up. 
We want to live as you have asked us to live. And you could ask, you know, why, why talk about this today? Because it's something that we've been grappling with for some months now, and really longer than that. And it all comes actually down to this parable, because it highlights what I've been struggling with for months now. It's both a profound and piercing parable. And for this reason, I actually have a love-hate relationship with this parable. <laughs> because I love the teachings of Jesus, but I hate how clear he makes his expectations in this parable. There's no getting away from it. So my, my MDiv, my concentration was expository preaching. In the rule of thumb in preaching, here was the, here's the goal. So you're going to like this goal today, and you're going to feel it today. The goal is that you impale somebody on the theme, and you put barbs on it so they can't get away from it. Congratulations. That is the goal of today's message. You won't be able to get away from this parable. And Jesus doesn't want you to. Because he wants us to live in his name. He wants us to live like he lays out in here. And understand that it is the best life that we can live. It's joyful to follow Jesus, but only if we go all in. Only if we go all in. Now, I actually want to move kind of speedily through this parable just because I want it to be the foundation by which Shelley and I share a little bit more on our hearts and from our hearts. So, Shelley, actually, why don't you go ahead and come? And I'm just going to walk through these points. So if you're taking notes, it'll be kind of fast this morning. It is on version if you want to look at it there. It'll be on our church website this week. So don't feel like you have to take notes uh, if we're moving too quickly. But as you look at this parable, here's the first thing we find, that Jesus expects his followers to stay busy. He expects his followers to stay busy. He really does. The nobleman goes away. Before he leaves, he gathers 10 servants and he gives them each a minna. And he says, engage in business while I'm away. Engage in business. In fact, a better translation of this verse, it comes from the New American Standard. Because so often we've looked at this passage through the lens of our American business mindsets where we're looking for profits. But that's really what, not, not what Jesus is after. He's after transactions. Here's how that verse reads in the New American Standard. He says, when he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he'd given the money be called to him so that he might know what business had been done. How many transactions had taken place? Basically, the setting here, what's going on, the political situation of the first century, it was unstable. It was an unstable environment. You never knew if someone went away if they were going to come back in power. Herod went away, and he came back in power. His son Archelaus went away, and he was banished. So you never know what's going to happen. So the servants are uncertain. If I engage in business in my nobleman's name, are things going to be good for me? Is he really going to return? What he's basically asking all of these servants is, I want you guys to go engage in business. So like go set up a falafel stand. You know, Jesus's falafels. Sell falafels in my name. Why? Because what that was saying is, I have aligned myself with this nobleman and I'm entrusting that he's going to return and be put in power. And so he's wondering, how many transactions were you doing in Jesus' name? That's what he's wondering. So the first thing is, is we're called to stay busy. He wants to know. He's going to check a ledger one day. How faithful were you in my transactions? But then that carries on to the next piece of what else does he expect? He expects us to be loyal and faithful servants. He wants loyal and faithful servants. Because those that were engaging in transactions, as long as they were loyal and faithful, they were good. Because notice, when the nobleman comes back, he does not say, well done, my successful servant. Here's what he says. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant, good-hearted. You have been faithful. Faithfulness is all that's required. 
We are not responsible for the results. We are only responsible for faithfulness. Are we faithful to proclaim the name of Jesus until he comes? That's what he wants to know. And then what happens when you meet Jesus' expectations? Jesus rewards his followers with life, purpose, and kingdom impact. That's the reward. He, the nobleman, he goes away, he comes back. Notice, he does not say to the one who is faithful, fantastic job, here's a big fat pension. Wonderful job, here's an all expense paid vacation to Hawaii. No, he says, well done on that little stand. Go rule over 10 cities. Well done, go rule over five cities. The reward of following Jesus is greater responsibility. And this is why you have to consider the cost of following Jesus. There is a cost of following Jesus and usually it comes, it looks a lot like work. (laughs) Which is why when I read this parable, I have a love-hate relationship because I'm not looking for a whole lot more to do. I look at this, I'm like, really, Jesus? But then the Lord does a work in my heart and says, oh, I have to fill you. You see, the greater responsibility, the more we need King Jesus. I only need him a little bit if this is all I'm doing. I'm gonna need him a lot of it if this is what I'm doing. And so then Jesus says, the reward is myself. I'm gonna give you more of myself because I'm giving you more responsibility. And I'll tell you, that is the promise of scripture. It's presence. I cannot, I don't know a way to explain to you fully the joy of following Jesus like this. I don't. I'll accept to compel you to say it is good. It is good. And there is a cost to following Jesus, but there's also a cost to not following him. Because we see with the person that just held on to the one handkerchief, Jesus condemns the unfaithful with a distorted view of himself. It's crazy to think about that. That for those that are unfaithful, they don't have an accurate view of their loving creator. It's distorted. You ever heard people say something about the quality or character of God and you're like, that's not God. It's because they are not seen clearly, which is why Jesus, he came preaching a message of repentance, which is metanoia in the Greek. Change your minds. I want you to see me for who I am and I am good. But let's be honest, if you don't know him as good, how can you help others know him that way? And you won't know him as good until you fling yourself into his mission saying, God, I surrender everything to you. And then you know him as good and you can grab others and say, this is awesome, come join me in this. And that's what we're called to because otherwise, Jesus condemns people to a distorted view of himself. Here's what the scripture is. Master, here's your minna, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, by your own words, not him saying, affirming, you know, you're right. That is my character. No, he just says, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know? So he's asking a question here. Did you know that I'm an exacting man taking up what I did not lay down, reaping what I did not sow? You really think that's who I am? Well, fine. Then that's who I'll be for you. I'm going to take what you have and I'm going to give it to another. But what's interesting is even in that act, what does that display? He who has some will be given more. Our God is a generous God. We just need to be generous with him. That's it. So if people have a distorted view of God, it's because they have not yet learned the joy of following Jesus, they have not flung themselves into mission for him. And of course, there's other count, uh, costs associated with not following Jesus. He, he lays that out pretty well. There's, there's an answer that he gives to those who did not want their rulership over his life. 
So although there is a cost to following Jesus, there is a cost to not following Jesus, both in this life and for sure in eternity. And so what you need to figure out this morning is what cost do you want to bear? I can tell you which one is easier. And actually, I can tell you the one that's joyful. But unfortunately, we lived too much in this tension of saying, I want heaven now and heaven later. And so because we live in that tension, then we have yet to really experience the full joy of knowing Jesus like he expresses. So then the question comes, and this is what Shelly and I want to share with you this morning. The whole task, the whole aim is to become everyday disciple makers. That's what it is. Are we engaging in transactions? Am I adding to my ledger a faithfulness to King Jesus? Am I adding to my ledger how I'm sharing him with others and testifying to who he is in my life? And am I doing that with my life? How do I become an everyday disciple maker? That's the question. And the the first thing is we have got to shift out of maintenance mode into mission. We have been living in maintenance mode for way too long, and we are not made for maintenance. We are made to live on mission for Jesus. In fact, most of the issues I have have countered in terms of the struggles people have in life as Christians is because they're living in maintenance mode, not on mission. When you live on mission, Jesus shows up and he works things out. He just does. So we've got to make that shift, and I'm going to let Shelly share a bit before I share a couple other thoughts. Um, So as Zach shared, I mean, it's definitely been a time of us just really looking at our lives and the decisions that we make and what we're a part of. Um, The weighty part of that is that um, we feel like God has called us to lead people to do it as well. And it would be easier for Zach and I to just do our thing and just be held accountable for our decisions alone. That is easier. Um, It's more difficult to say we need to follow Jesus according to how he's calling us and lead others to do the same because then unity is required and unity is a choice. And so then there's the weight of it. Um, How do we accomplish what we feel like God is asking us to do? And so um, this point of, of maintenance to mission has been really heavy on our hearts because I had to look at my own life and evaluate, am I living in maintenance mode? And I really felt like the Lord pointed out how minimally I'm serving him. And I'll say, uh, to my credit, you know, because, you know, the Lord knows everything, I feel like I am being a good moral person. I feel like I'm being honest. I feel like I'm raising my children to be moral people. I feel like I'm telling others about Jesus. I, I gave out a Bible not too long ago. I offer people prayer. Um, I'm willing to pray for someone on the spot. Um, I feel like I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. I don't feel like I'm being disobedient. But yet the Lord has shown me that's minimal. And I feel like the Lord is asking me to do the maximum for him. And so then I have to evaluate what am I doing and how am I being missional? And so I feel like then that's a call for all of us to evaluate how can we be missional people and how can we honor God with our lives? So Shelly and I were talking more about that. And basically the question was, how could we better leverage our lives for the sake of the lost? And that's going to be a different answer for everybody in this room. And as we began to, to reflect on that, one of the things that definitely came to mind is to live more simply. Could we live more simply and in doing so better leverage our lives for the sake of the lost? That was, that was one of the things. 
And so God was speaking to my heart about things. And, uh, but you know, you have those things that you really don't want to bring up to your spouse. And so then you just ask. So as we've been having these conversations, what, what's God speaking to you? And so she says, what, sell the house? Yeah, that was it. I just didn't want to bring it up. I'm so glad God told you. <laughs> I hate moving. But at the same time, I am happy to live more simply if it's a better way to leverage our lives for the lost. So that's what we're working through as a part of that. I don't know what God's going to speak to you in terms of how you better leverage your life for the lost. But what I'm saying is, unless we are all in with every aspect of our lives, and Shelly and I, our biggest conviction was we can live with, you know, read Paul. I learned how to live with little, learned how to live with much. It makes no difference to us. We just want to follow Jesus. But then the question was, how do we better model what is in every part and avenue of our life, just Christ's followership and leverage in our lives for the lost? And so we have some answers there. So that's why I said there's family uh, consequences or, or implications that we've got to consider. But there's also implications for all of us. As we think about moving from maintenance mode to mission, what does that mean? It means that we can no longer be full-time teachers and, and full-time businessmen and full-time students and part-time Christians. We've talked about that. It means that we are all called to be everyday disciple makers who now serve our community as teachers. We're all called to be everyday disciple makers who maybe serve our community in business. We are all everyday disciple makers who serve our community by learning through knowledge and serving as a student. We all have to learn, how do we become an everyday disciple maker? And these are just the platform by which I operate in this community. This isn't my goal. My goal is Jesus and being an everyday disciple maker. And so now I want to figure out how do I leverage what I'm doing for the sake of the kingdom? We need to figure that out. But the other thing we need to figure out is God has gifted. If you are a follower of Christ, if you have committed your life to him, upon that decision to say, Jesus, I want to follow you, he imparted you with spiritual gifts that he means for you to use. He gave them to you. And in fact, scripture tells us if you don't use them, you suffer and the body suffers. You suffer because you're not being used to the purpose by which you were created and your soul is in anguish. The body suffers because we are meant to advance the kingdom and we can't unless everybody engages with their gifts. We all have to activate our spiritual gifts. For the staff, we've been talking a little bit about how do we better leverage everything at the church? Some of that being resources. How do we better leverage our financial resources? So talking about bivocational ministry, would it be better for the pastors to have a job in the community to model what it looks like to be an everyday disciple maker who simply engage and come together on a Sunday pursuing the presence of God together, everybody's gifts activated? Is that a better way to go after advancing the kingdom than what we're doing? And the answer is probably yes. So I, I share this with you to say shifts are coming because we will leverage everything for the sake of the loss in our community. Nothing would be held back from him. The lost need it. God desires it. The question is, are we willing to follow after him in it? And Dick Brogdon, he was here in November, and he's been writing a, a daily blog on livedead.org. You can look it up there. And one of those I felt like was so wonderful and pointed to what we've been talking about here. So he's working through Joshua and Judges right now. And here's what he writes. He says, every generation has kings to conquer. This is not just because the task is unfinished or because some of our ancestors failed to obey. So in other words, it's not that the task is just unfinished because there's been disobedience. That may be part of it. But here's the other reason why. It's also because we were made for battle. It's true there is land yet to possess and land yet to conquer. Yes, it's true there's 7,000 unreached peoples who do not yet glorify the king. But there is more to conquest than completion of the task. We were created to be fulfilled when we work, fight, 
labor, and struggle for what is glorious. Fighting is part and parcel of winning, and there is no fun in wins without fights. The greatest inheritance we can give our children, man, listen to this, parents. The greatest inheritance we can give our children and disciples is the commission to fight for the glory of God in the earth. If the inheritance we leave behind is a challenge and not a check, we will do more for the souls of those we love than if we left them a fortune. This is the truth. To leave a legacy that removes fight and invites corruption is no kindness at all. We were created to derive joy from battle, not from retreat. And too often, let's admit it, the church has been much more about maintenance and retreat than it has engaging in the battle, at least in productive and loving ways. Rest is delicious when it's a reprieve from battle, not when it's a retreat. What makes rest rewarding is the call of battle that beckons from the other side. Rest is not an abdication from fighting. It is a pause so that we can fling ourselves into the fray with even more zest and joy. Our greatest inheritance is a call to arms, a call to fight for the eternal souls of unreached people. And that because it will give God glory. And that because in giving God glory, we are most satisfied. If you lack satisfaction in life, Could it be because you've not thrown yourself into the fray of battle? We should gather on Sundays longing for rest to experience the presence of God so that we can run back out into the battle and say, Jesus, I'm going to rescue more. As a collective body, as the family of God, as the army of the Lord of hosts, we've been given a precious double inheritance. We've been given the summons to battle and we've been given the gift of God's presence. Oh, how fortunate are the children of God. Our inheritance is God and his fights. How blessed we are. As parents and grandparents, let us pass that blessing on and not the corruptible inheritance of so much money our children and grandchildren forget how to battle. Let us pass on the inheritance of the presence of Jehovah in a delight in spiritual war. My friend Kelly Brown interprets Jesus saying, I did not come to bring peace but a sword in this very light. Jesus came to go to war for souls. When things get tough on the gospel trail, Jesus doesn't back down. He says, bring it, I came to do battle, game on, let's fight to the death, or better said, to the life. And battle calls are not just for the young. Caleb was feisty when he was young and he was 85 years old. His strength and appetite for war did not diminish as he aged. Those who are advanced in years, sitting in your seats this morning, the battle is not won and you are not done. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. In fact, read this parable. It says you're given more responsibility, not less. The excuse is not I've been there, done that. The excuse should be, oh Lord, lead me on to more. We all have a part to play. Battle calls are not just for males. Caleb's daughters were feisty in their own right. In fact, if you're a single man, the best way to prove your manhood is to go on the warpath for the glory of God for the nations. Embrace that, young men. Caleb's feisty daughter's hand in marriage was earned by a man who proved he could fight on the frontier. Those men who dedicate themselves to fighting for God's glory among the frontier peoples of earth will have no problem finding godly, feisty wives, the best kind. I'll attest to that. It should be self-evident that the militarism Jesus calls for is not physically coercive crusading. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The physical wars in Joshua played out in the middle of hostile nations are pictures for us of the spiritual war we inherited and must embrace. We too fight among the nations. Let me say, we fight among the lost. 
Not for land and homes, but for love and hearts. That's our battle. We fight for the glory of God among all peoples, and we all must fight, young and old. We have a beautiful inheritance, the God of all the nations. He is ours, and we most fully have him when we fight for all the peoples he died for. Onward, Christian soldiers. Onward unto war. We must move out of maintenance mode and into mission. But as we talk about engaging our culture, may we understand the way that we battle. Because the way that we battle is not what we, f- we, we prove to the culture of what we're against, but we actually show them what we're for. That's the way that we go after it. And that's the second point here. We have to become better known for what we are for than for what we're against. We have to. I'm going to have Shelly share a little bit more about that. Just, I mean, I feel like the Lord has just been so faithful to kind of show us uh, why we're in the situation we're in. And I do feel like um, the church has been okay with being a church on this street. And then there's, there's another church on that street and another church on this and that street. And we've become okay with that instead of trying to change that mindset to say, we are the church and we're all on one mission to the glory of God. But instead of being united, we have really gone our separate ways and we've chosen to focus on very different things in the name of Jesus. And in that, we have brought offense upon the name of Jesus. And so we've, we've made it very clear what the church is against. And so what we've done in actuality is we have offended people because in saying what we are against, what they're hearing is we're against them. We cannot make clear, well, we're just against your choices or we're just against your whatever, you name it. And so we've taken this posture that we're here and we're available and we have this great gift of God. We've got this wonderful message, but we are expecting people who we have deeply offended to humble themselves and come here to this place to receive what they need. And I just made, I feel like Jesus made it very clear and said, no more. You have to humble yourself over and over and over again and go to where they are and minister to them. And Jesus can't be the first thing out of my mouth because I have offended his great name for my own cause. So I have to humble myself and love and serve and care and give just so that I can have the opportunity to be present in their life and in their circumstance. And God is ready and waiting for us to switch our mindset and go among the lost to reach people he is trying to reach with a message we hold. And so we cannot be about what we are against We need to be about who we are for, not even what we are for, who we are for, and leave all the what's to Jesus. 
Because again, the results are not up to us. The results are up to Jesus. He just simply asks us to bear his great name. And that's been a reflection point on us. How are we doing? Do we care more about what we represent here within this building? Because as, as far as I can tell, all of my needs are met right now. I am clothed, I am well fed, I am cared for, and I had a wonderful night's rest in a beautiful home. This building is not going to meet those needs. This building is not going to clothe me. This building is not going to feed me. And I hope we don't have to sleep in it. <laughs> but at the same time, we have made this building far too important. And Jesus is trying to say, we have to change our mindsets and be the church, be the people that can carry a message that he always intended us to do. He didn't say this building is going to do the job. He asked us to carry out his message, to be about the great commission. So it is up to us. And we, of course, depend on the spirit. But we've, we've kind of made it all up to the spirit that the spirit will do it. The spirit will change minds. The spirit will unveil. The spirit will reveal. The spirit will draw. And that's true. But the spirit is meant to empower us to go where Jesus wants to go. So again, it's a mindset. And I think we need to put into action today instead of it being so ideal these are great things that Jesus says, and it's great. It's ideal. And I feel like Jesus is saying, do it. Be active. And so today, that's where we're at. We're just ready to put into action what we really feel like for too long, we've, we've just counted as ideal. We were talking through this point and realizing, you know, building's helpful, but it's your life that matters. It really does. And because we've not viewed it that way, then unfortunately, the people of whom we were called to reach are now those who could war against us. And the crazy thing is we find that in scripture. Dick Brogdon, he wrote in another devotional about this in, in Joshua that he said that those tribes of whom they did not conquer are the very tribes that God used to then judge them. And uh, it kind of looks a lot like what we've done. So we've built up walls and kept ourselves from the society that we were called to go and love and serve and be disciple makers of. And now God is saying in his loving mercy, and that's what we miss sometimes, in his loving mercy, he then reminds us to say, well, guess what? Now the only way you're going to be able to do it is to go out and be the disciple makers I called you to be anyway. He brings us back to the cause of Christ right from its very outset. He, he drives us back to that. As we were working on the yard yesterday, we were cleaning up some areas, and both for Shelly and I, he just gave us this wonderful spiritual picture. Well, where do we go from here? What do we do? We need to clear paths to our neighbors. So here's a, a picture of our yard. This is actually already partly cleaned. Doesn't it look all cleaned up? You know, it's nice. So that was partly clean, but we could start to see there was like some rocks that were pointing in a direction to our neighbor's yard, and I thought, well, what in the world? So we just kept cleaning and cleaning and cutting stuff out, and when it was all said and done, lo and behold, there was always a path to our neighbor's home. It had been grown over. We have paths that are grown over to our neighbors in relationship. We have paths that have been grown over in our relationships with our work colleagues. We have so many paths that have been grown over in our relationships with the lost, and we've got to clear the path. And it takes work. 
It does. And we have to be okay with doing that work, knowing how much more beautiful is that? How much more fun is us to have that than what we had before? It's going to be a joy for you and a joy for the lost. Can we embrace it that way? If you've been in the, if you're in our mentoring groups in the last month, maybe you've read the book 42 Seconds. And if you're not in our mentoring group, because the question is, well, what do I do with this information? How do I become an everyday disciple maker? And we're creating pathways to help you do that, but it takes time. There's no overnight, (laughs) real easy answer for that. But I can give you this. If you read this book, at least it walks you down the path of being kind. Be kind to the people around you. Be present in their lives. Be brave. Pray with them if God leads you that way. And be Jesus. So if at least you want to go down this road and start thinking about applying these things now because it takes time for it to be more of a a bigger movement, read this book and start following the principles. It's worth it. And otherwise, where do you go? You start taking next steps. We as the church, Connection Point Church, we are committed to equipping you to be everyday disciple makers. That really is our mission. So all you need to do is start taking those next steps on the journey with wherever you're at. Some of you don't have a relationship with Jesus. That's okay. Jump in here somewhere. Start serving on our hospitality team. Start to hang out with other people who know Jesus and watch what Jesus starts to do in your life. You take next steps. Uh, If you want to jump to there's there's actually four pathways that we're creating. So I'm kind of giving you a glimpse into the future. This is two years ahead of time already. We have two paths already. If you're seeking freedom, you jump in our living free class on Wednesday nights. So that, because Jesus means to set you free. You're meant to be someone whose heart has been set free and life set free. Jump in there. In the fall, we'll get to the place where if you've got questions and you just want to find a place where it's a safe place to ask questions and we want to be able to be a place where you can do that, we should be a place where you can come in asking spiritual questions or questions of any kind. So if you've got questions, you go down one path. If you're seeking freedom, you go down another. If you realize that you've been in maintenance mode and you want to start living on mission, go down the I want to grow path. Start following those pathways. We will lead you well. We promise to do that because the end goal of all of those is that everyone becomes an everyday disciple maker. That's the goal because that's what we find in scripture and that is what our job as a church is to do and to be, to equip you to live like that. So what about that fourth category I wanna go? So I'll tell you, the way that God is on the move in our nation is he's doing something called disciple making movements and so we wanna train people in that where we will send people out into the streets and you know who we send them to? We send them to the kinds of people that Jesus encountered. You know the kind of people that Jesus reached? The outcasts. He reached the poor. He reached the, the refugees, the internationals, the, those of not the same ethnic status. Who else? He reached those people that were struggling in prison. He reached the sick. That's who we train and send out to. That's how Jesus grows his kingdom. So we're going to go out. Why? Because they're not going to come here. And so our response is, let's clear the seats and get into the streets. That's what our mandate is as the church. And that's our mission. And we want to go after that. It's been said, and, and I agree with it. The only thing, the only thing that keeps the evangelism of, uh, evangelization of the world happening today. The only thing is the disobedience of the church. We absolutely have the manpower and the resources necessary to reach the whole world this year. What holds us back? Disobedience to the commands of Christ. So the question is, are we willing to finally start living in the kingdom the way Christ lays out for us to do it? Are we going to stand before King Jesus when he returns because he is coming back one day? And can we give him a ledger that says, Lord, I've been faithful. Lord, I've been faithful. Are we going to make that shift from maintenance mode into mission? Are we going to start becoming better known for the people we're for than the things that we're against? I pray that you make a commitment to start doing that today. That's my heart for you. 
Let's move out of maintenance and move into mission. Let's clear paths to the lost, be kind, be present, be brave, and be Jesus. And in so doing, Jesus can return and check that ledger and find us to be faithful. If you were walking by a lake and you saw a child drowning in it, what would you do? I pray you wouldn't be indecisive and stand there hoping it works out. I pray that you would jump in that lake and save the child. We have so forgotten that there are people in our community who are drowning, who need rescuing. And we have got to jump in the lake. And we have got to go after the lost. We have to leverage our lives for the sake of the lost. Everything. We can't hold anything back. And my only encouragement to you is this. Following Jesus, there's a cost. But I can tell you the cost is worth it because Jesus gives you so much of himself. You can't help but radiate joy. But you have to turn over everything. If you're holding on to one thing, it just ain't going to work. You got to let it all go. And Jesus is worth it. Who's going to be in heaven because you made a commitment to be a faithful witness of Jesus this week? Whose life will be changed because you introduced him to their creator? What kind of purpose and meaning could your life have? It's meant to be full of meaning if you learn to become an everyday disciple maker. I truly pray that you find out. I invite you to stand. We're going to close in song this morning, so I'm going to invite the music team to come. Maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. First, let me applaud you for walking in this building. You don't know who Jesus is, but today you'd say, I'm ready to, to lose my life to find it in Jesus' name. I can tell you it is a joy to wholeheartedly follow Jesus. I'll tell you it's not a joy to hold something back and follow Jesus. It's actually a struggle. So I encourage you today, follow, find Jesus as both your Lord, he's your ruler, and he's a good king. And find him as your savior. He will save you from the circumstances you're in. So with every head bowed in this room this morning, if you would say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to turn my life over to him and I just want to chase him with everything that I am. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you before we leave today. Anybody that would say, that's me. Here in the middle. Anybody else that would say, that's me. I want to follow Jesus. Over here on the right. Anybody else, I want to follow Jesus. I want to devote my life to him. I want to live in his name. Over here on the left, anybody else that would say, I want to devote my life to you, King Jesus. You're smart enough to know it was never my goal to convince you not to follow Jesus. It is worth following Jesus. It is worth it for this life, even if it means I don't get my marshmallow today. It is still worth following Jesus because it is glorious. And it is an eternal bright future. Anybody else that would say that, that's me, I want to follow Jesus today, devote my life to him. God, we just thank you for those that raise their hand to say, I want to follow you, Jesus. That they see like Zacchaeus, it is worth giving everything up for in order to follow you because you are worth it all. And so God, I just pray that you would touch their lives today in extraordinary ways. May their hearts be firm in you. Help them be steadfast. May we be the body that comes alongside them to help lead them in pathways that lead to you and them being an everyday disciple maker. Help us, oh God. Lead them well, Lord Jesus. I'm gonna ask Pastor Mark to come and some of our prayer team members, if you don't mind to come. If you raise your hand, we simply like to to have a conversation with you. I want to give you a Bible to say, here's how you follow Jesus for a lifetime because the enemy, I'm, I'm telling you, the enemy will come against that decision. He does not want you to follow Jesus. He does not want you to enter into the good life. He doesn't. So if you're here today and you made that decision, you raised your hand, we've got some prayer team members 
would love to pray with you and give you a Bible. And so we're going to encourage you to step out of the seats that you're in and just come forward this morning. And for everybody else that's here, I pray that as we sing this song, can you just pray and make a commitment to Jesus? Jesus, upon honest reflection, I've been in maintenance mode and I need to live on mission. Jesus, I've been holding on to this one thing, but I'm asking for your strength. You you can only do it in God's strength. Holy Spirit, I'm asking for your strength to release this in your name. Can we applaud those that gave their lives to Jesus this morning? People came home today and that's amazing. Praise you, Jesus. But may we all learn, may we all commit to the journey. I commit to you. In fact, young adults, let me tell you right now, if you've read through the Gospels, you've been reading through Matthew and Mark and, and Luke and John and Acts, and, and, you, and you've wondered, you know what, that's pretty awesome. I'm not real sure what Sunday's all about. Can I tell you, I am committed, I am not going to be a pastor of a church in maintenance mode. I will be a pastor of a church on mission, so help me God. And I want you to see the gospel lived out. I want you to understand the naturally supernatural nature of following Jesus, who does the miraculous when we go out in his name. The miraculous can happen here, but I'll tell you, from our experience overseas, it happens a lot more in the streets because that's also what's in the book of Acts. So we will equip people to be everyday disciple makers who go away during the week, who have incredible stories of what God's doing in Caterpillar on Tuesday, of what God's doing in McDonald's on Monday, because that's where God shows up, it's where he wants to show up. And we can celebrate those things on Sunday, encounter his presence and find his rest and be flung back out into the mission. And you're gonna follow Jesus. And honestly, your generation is better poised to follow Jesus than any generation before you. There is more at stake in your generation for the kingdom of God because your generation has figured it out. The American dream's a hoax. And so then you can more willingly just throw your life into things and that's awesome. Throw it into Jesus and watch what he does. I put that before you today in Jesus' name. We're gonna go after it here and I pray that you're a part, you're invited to be a part. If our guest service t-shirts haven't helped you figure that out by now, I don't know what will. (laughs) God, may we go after Jesus. So as we close in song this morning, may you commit your lives to say, Jesus, I'm not okay living on maintenance. I wanna live on mission. I'm gonna be known for what I'm for more than what I'm against. And I'm gonna be an everyday disciple maker. You might not know how to do that yet and we're still figuring that out as a church, how do we lead people in that? But we're gonna figure it out. We're gonna lead people in it and it's gonna be amazing. Maybe we'd be a part, but let's close the song.